It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Another exciting Thursday uh, afternoon. Uh, Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective on Voice America Sports. As always, I'm joined by my co-host. You can find him at Mile High Mario. And, and today is Thursday, and it, I have to start by saying it is Black History Month. So we're in the month of February, so be sure to go out and do something in honor of Black History Month for someone that, that's not black, for anyone that's out there because, you know, we all have this humanistic side of us, and we need to go out and explore more of that and do good deeds for other our other fellow men. Uh, now, of course, we are a couple of days uh, off the Super Bowl victory from the Seattle Seahawks and sensational game by the Seattle Seahawks. So I have to take my hat off to them. But I think uh, Mario has some, some nice uh, or not so nice comments about uh, what his thoughts were on the game. So Mario, with that being said, I'll let you go right in. Well, here's the thing, man. You you hope and you pray and you do everything you can as a fan. And, you know, I've I've obviously let my bias show because how often are you going to get a team in the Super Bowl? So, you know, you, you watch the game and you at least want it to be close and it got out of hand so fast. And, you know, at halftime, you're holding on to some semblance of a chance and you say, OK, well, they get the ball. So if we get a hold and then we score, we're back in this game. And then they return the opening kickoff for a touchdown, thanks to, like, the dumbest decision to pooch kick I've ever seen in my life. And it just kind of spiraled out of control. But here's the thing that Bronco fans need to remember. There are teams in the NFL who have never been to a Super Bowl, never won a Super Bowl. There are teams who have not won a playoff game in 20 years. There are teams who simply do not win for their fans. Imagine living in a city like that. So as a Bronco fan, I had to take a step back and kind of look at this in a completely unbiased standpoint. (laughs) Even though they lost the way that they did, and it was a terrible game, it was the third worst defeat in Super Bowl history, and the Broncos have been on the wrong end of plenty of those throughout their history as a franchise, you got to take the silver lining where it is. At least you're not rooting for a team that finishes under 500 every single year. They get a top five, top 10 draft pick every year and they can't figure it out. So I will say this, even though it hurts a lot to not only lose in the Super Bowl, but to be absolutely embarrassed, but to make it there and to see the kind of season that we saw with all these records, with all the offensive accolades and Peyton Manning, the greatest season a quarterback has ever had in the history of the NFL, you've got to appreciate the game of football. Just because your team doesn't win the last game of the season, only one out of 32 can do it. You still got to root for your team. You still got to love your team. And Mr. Ferguson, as you said, you still got to show up. So here I am. Here you are talking about the Broncos like it's no big deal. I still love them no matter what happens. And I think we, we all will love the Broncos, and we will break down the game more, and we will talk to, later on in the program, we will talk to one of the three amigos, Mark Jackson, to get his uh, take on it as well. But we remember yesterday was National Signing Day around for a lot of the high school players who were hoping to go 
and hit it big with a major university right now. We have on the line Ben Hanks, former Minnesota Viking and former standout linebacker for the University of Florida. Uh, ben, thanks for joining the program. Thanks for having me. Hey, listen, now, now we know down in that Miami area, you know, the, the, we have Booker T. Washington, we have Central, and we have Miami Northwestern. Talk to us about how is it that Booker T. Washington is able to stay ahead of the curve and, and be, you know, repeat as far as state champions. How are you guys able to do that year, year in and year out? First of all, I have to give credit to um, Coach Harris, um, Coach Tim Ice Harris, who's our head coach at Booker T. Washington. He does a great job of interacting with the community, being a community guy, um, getting coaches that's from the community, young and old coach. We have guys on our staff that have been coaching high school for 30 years, and we have guys that have been coaching high school for five years, which some of those 30-year-old coaches have coached those kids, and they've come back to you know join the staff. So you have the energy and the the relationship to be able to deal with young people nowadays because we all know the 90s playing football or the 80s playing football is a little different, a little cut and dry, so you have to be able to relate to the kids. But I think Coach Harris does a great job of that, as well as working with the Overtown community, which me being the um, commissioner of Overtown Optimus and working at Gibson Park, that allows us to have the youth program that we have in the um, local area to be a leader part of for Booger T. Washington. So the that we have had Treon Harris, who yesterday signed with the University of Florida as a quarterback, was also a player on our national championship team at um, at Overtown Optimus, and they won a national in 2010. They also he went on the Booker T. Watch in 2013 and won a national, led that senior class to a national title. So being able to do that and keeping 85, 90 percent of those kids that play little league football together makes it a lot easier to transition for when they go over to high school. They're more familiar with each other. They've been playing and got camaraderie in. So this makes it a lot easier, smooth transition for Coach Harris and the coaches over at Booker T. Washington. Now, you were just talking about Treon Harris, and I, I think that was probably the biggest surprise uh, in yesterday's uh, National Signing Day. If you just joined us, we're talking to former standout linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings and the Florida Gators, Ben Hanks. Uh, Treon, early this year, committed. Uh, to Florida State. So, you know, everyone thought that he was going to go join Jimbo Fisher and that national championship team. And all of a sudden, he, he changed and he decides to go to Florida Gators. How influential, if at all, were you in his decision-making process? Well, I want to take no credit for being influential. I think what I have done is over my you know, career or my time of being back in Miami for the last 12 or 13 years, I think I've been an influence on many kids in the community, and they all know that I went to the University of Florida. But at the end of the day, I never motivate or or lead or direct the kid to go to a university because at the end of the day, I'm down with the individual kids, and I want the kids to go have the best four or five years of their life. Him making that decision to go to the University of Florida was solely with him and his family. I never spoke with him about, you know, going there or this and that. If anything, I spoke with him just about the time and enjoyment that I had in college, how these could be the fun of best four or five years of your life and the amount of people and the friends that you'll meet in college will be friends that you will know for the next 40, 50 years of your life. That'll play a big part of, you know, in your life and going off and getting your degree. So that's more or less my thing when it comes to that. I never guide a kid or, you know, send him in a certain direction to any university. I just try to encourage him to go to college and enjoy that time. So him making that decision to go to the University of Florida was, like I said, him and his mother's and his family decision. But I think it's a great decision, and I think Coach Roper, who came over from Duke, did a great job in getting in late on Treon 
and showing him that the spread offense that he would bring from Duke to Florida would fit him more or less than him going to Florida State. And I thought Auburn was also a good pick if he would have chose Auburn as well. But we just have to live and see, or wait and see how things turn out with the University of Florida. You know, he's got the scholarship, but his work hadn't stopped yet. He has to really hit it and learn the plays and really get his work at it to another level to be successful on the college level. And I think he's a kid that has the talent and can do well at the University of Florida, but it's going to be up to him putting in the work that he needs to put in to continue to develop. Now, you were recruited by, you know, that coaching staff with uh, the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier. And take us through that, that recruiting process. Now, what was it that, you know, he said to you that influenced you that, hey, listen, Florida Gators were the school for you over other schools because, I mean, you were a two-sport athlete and you played both on both sides of the ball as a wide receiver and uh, a safety as well. What was it that they said to you that made you say, hey, listen, I want to spend my next four years with the Florida Gators? Well, being a kid from Miami and growing up in the hurricane era with Jimmy Johnson and Erickson, uh, on the University of Miami football in the 80s and see how successful it was. I mean, of course, all three wanted to go to the University of Miami. But um, I think at the time, Florida State was doing well. Used to have the battles between Florida and Florida, I mean, Florida State and Miami, which, you know, they had the big battles and across TV and around the world, everyone would be tuned in, you know, at 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock for that primetime game. But I think at the time, Spurrier came over from Duke as well. And quite a coincidence, you know, Roper coming from Duke, Spurrier came from Duke as offensive coordinator, and he came to Florida a year before in 1990 to be the head coach, and I seen the success that he had, and it was the funny gun offense, and he's throwing the ball around, and me being a guy that played offense and defense, I just wanted to be a part of, you know, that success. I wanted to be a part of that movement because Florida had, I mean, Florida State had pretty much established themselves with Charlie Ward and Derrick Brooks and some of those guys, and Miami had they guys with uh, Melvin Brett and the Brett Perrimans moving on to the Warren Sapp and the James Stewart, so they pretty much had you know, done some different things. So I wanted to be a part of something new and Spurs seemed to have that energy and it was a funny gun offense and, you know, things when I had a teammate of mine, Darren Mickle, was there at the same time. So it was just a great opportunity for me to choose the University of Florida, which to me at the time, the three state schools, Florida, Florida, I mean, the three local state schools, Florida, Florida State, and Miami, you couldn't miss where you would have went at the time because I think football was at an all-time high for all three of those schools. So for me, I wasn't leaving the state of Florida. I visit all three. I enjoyed my visit, but at Florida, I just felt felt the connection. I just felt like I can be a part of something. I could play early as a freshman, and which I'd end up not doing, but I ended up starting all four of my years there. But I had a great time. I enjoyed. It. I wouldn't change nothing for the world, and it was a great experience. And I think it allowed me to be the person that I am today. Allowed me to be influential to the kids in my community that I am. You know, having that degree from the University of Florida, going on, you know, the experience of things that I experienced there. So I love my decision to know making that decision to go to the University of Florida. So so now Will Muschamp comes in and takes over for Urban Myers, and Florida has been known as a team, when you talk about national championships, to be right there. Over the past couple of years, we've seen them pretty much uh, slip in the S- SEC. What do you think that Will Muschamp and the Gators have to do to get their name back into national contention talk? Well, for one, like I told a couple of um, Coach Rope and um, – a couple of coaches just came down here um, doing the recruiting um, when he was recruiting Treon and some of the other kids. For one, I think, and I haven't researched it, but I think I can put my finger on it. Every time Florida has been successful in BCS games or have won a national championship, they have had more guys from Miami. For some reason, over the last couple of years, we have Miami. 
I mean, getting guys. I mean, I think we had like, um, I remember when they said Erickson, not Erickson, but Jimmy Johnson, or even Snellenberg was here in Miami. He set a boundary around Miami where he went from Palm Beach on back to the Keys. Nobody wasn't getting out. So for me, Florida, like they set the boundary to Broward on back to Gainesville. Right. I don't want to get out, but I thought they set the boundary too early when they should have came down to Miami. Just football in Miami is just special. Um, I'm a little biased when it comes to Miami football, but I think we have a lot of talented kids across the board because, I mean, it's a melting pot where all the coaches are here getting talent from around the world. And I think Florida not having some Miami guys on their roster, enough Miami guys that can bring that it to the program, that toughness. Um, they might not be the most athletic guys, but just that hard, that camaraderie, that playing together when the game on the line, be able to bite down and making plays. And I think that's what Florida missing with Coach Muschamp and with bringing Treon and, you know, getting some other kids from Miami. Hopefully they have to bring that winning ways back to Florida. So to me, to answer that question, the key is getting into Miami and getting some more players out of Miami at the University of Florida. Well, we're joined by former standout linebacker Ben Hanks of the Florida Gators giving us his take on what it's going to take for Will Muschamp and the Gators to get things back on track. Uh, I know uh, you're a really busy guy, and we uh, have uh, right up against the break. Uh, last question for you. Uh, you know, you played in the NFL and you played both on the collegiate level. Uh, what do you think about this whole debate on whether college athletes should see, see their fair share of the pot as far as the money that's being made in NCAA football? Well, I think um, I agree that college athletes should get paid um, how we go about getting it done, the formula that they use. Um, I don't have an answer for that part of it, but I truly believe that they should get paid because when you look at a star athlete, and I give you quite an uh, example, um, you say a Percy Harvin who came from University of Florida or much a Tim Tebow to where the amount of money that University of Florida made. We could put the argument up and say, well, he's getting a free education. Okay, that's all well and true. Then you put that same argument when you go to Nick Saban, who has success at Alabama. He wins a national title. Texas and all the other schools get to, um, trying to recruit him and go out. They take his pay raise from $5 million to $7 million and say, come on, Texas. Well, he got an incline for his success, but here it is. Tim Tebow has been there since a freshman. They won the title as a freshman and as a junior. There was nothing said to line up and say, Tim Tebow, here goes a hundred thousand extra dollars, or here goes this and that. There's nothing for the college athlete, and I think you know that's very important because um, when you look at it, our kids don't have anything to. Well, I shouldn't say don't have anything, but they haven't received anything, or they don't receive anything, but outside of their um, education. But when they success, they only. I mean, they measure it by their success and failure, and right. receive anything. But I measure by that as well. And they receive all the benefits when we are successful. So, and their money pretty much is guaranteed. So we go about but we have bowl games at the end of the year, and those bowl games are done by are uh, um, brought about by sponsors and different things, and bringing you know money into the economy. Different states that they're going to have on bowl games is put money in, but everybody's receiving benefit, the local business and everything. But no one is saying nothing about the athletes. What do they get out of it? And I mean, it's. X amount of dollars out there that we all know and, you know, for some reason we tend not to worry about the athlete just saying that he's getting education, but we also know there's classes that some athletes may be a 4.0 school, Valley Victorian or their class coming out of high school want to get into, you know, economics or get into accounting or something that may take a little more time, but because they have a rigid schedule of football, they have to be in practice at a certain time that this class may be offered and things like that. They're not able to pursue certain, you know, 
but with um, free education, but sometimes that free education is limited because you also have a responsibility as a student athlete to do the athletic side of it as well. So, I mean, I truly agree that they need to get paid. How we go about doing it? No, it's a great question, and I think at some point it's going to happen. They're getting into the playoffs of college football, so I think at some point college athletes will be paid. But there, there you have it. Uh, ben, thanks for uh, for joining us and giving us some great insight in Miami football and uh, the new outlook for your Florida Gators and whether weighing in on your opinion as far as whether college athletes should get paid. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to talk to former three amigos, Broncos, wide receiver safety, that's not safety, but wide receiver, pardon me, uh, Mark Jackson, and also talk about medicinal marijuana in the NFL. You listen to Voice America Sports, Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, Voice America Sports, Nick Secondary Perspective. Uh, we just got some great insight from former linebacker uh, from the Florida Gators, Ben Hanks, and talking about football in Miami, the whole recruiting process, and whether he felt that college athletes should get paid. Uh, we, we, I mean, we always bring you some, some great stuff on the show. And, you know, right now the com- conversation and the topic is about marijuana usage and the NFL for pain management. Now, a former teammate of mine, Nate Jackson, wrote a book where he uh, talked about uh, him using marijuana for pain management and and Steelers safety. Ryan Clark said on Four Letter Network today that he feels that the league should not test for marijuana. Uh, We're going to ask Mark Jackson uh, what, what is his take on it. But before we get to Mark, uh, Mario, real quickly, tell me, you live in a Mount High city where it is legal to uh, smoke on a Mary Jane. What are your thoughts? 
Honestly, man, I, I'm going to say this right now. I don't partake, even though I went to CU Boulder and everyone thinks that's the mecca of weed smoking. Honestly, Denver and Colorado being one of the places that has legalized marijuana, it's a little embarrassing, man. The jokes are being made about how our city and our state is always high. And, you know, they, there were jokes being made when it was Broncos Seahawks about the super high bowl and all this crap. And, I mean, it, it's funny to a point, but it gets to an extent where it's just embarrassing, man. I don't want to live in a place that is the butt of all those jokes, no pun intended. And uh, as far as athletes, I mean, I can't speak to it. You know, man, I don't play in the NFL, so and I don't smoke weed. So I don't have either of those experiences to really base it off of. But I will say this, Ryan Clark, he's a very intelligent guy. Anytime he goes on first take, he really seems like he knows his stuff. And this is a this guy's a shoe-in to be behind the desk when his career is over. And I was a little surprised to hear him say something like this because, in my opinion, him coming out and being so cavalier about players smoking weed, my guess is that he does it. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't be able to make that comparison or make that kind of a statement so again I'm not really in a position to do it you know I don't do anything that requires me to puff on a joint or get high in order to get rid of my pain and I'm very lucky in that sense but you know you could probably give us a better idea of whether or not that's smart to do Nick because you played in the NFL you played with guys that smoked weed and have that firsthand experience as to whether or not it is actually beneficial well, before I give my take on it, we're going to bring in former Three Omigos member Mark Jackson to get his take on this whole topic of medicinal marijuana NFL and, more importantly, to see what he thinks about uh, the Broncos, uh, I guess, embarrassing loss. So, Mark, uh, <laughs> welcome to the program, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. And listen, let, let me start off by saying this. Now, you know, uh, we, we as Broncos fans are solely disappointed about the team's performance in Sunday's game. And being the guy that's been to a couple of Super Bowls y- yourself, what did you get from Sunday's game? Well, there was a couple of things going into the week that um, threw some caution to me. One was the fact that they were practicing full pads. And, uh, I mean, playing in the Shanahan era, the, the, the Walsh era, I thought that those days were pretty much over after those guys pretty much showed the uh, formula for success in Super Bowls. I mean, playing through a, an entire regular season, postseason play, and then, uh, you know, lining up to play against another team. It just looked like the Seahawks were so much faster, and um, that was one of the issues that thought the, the Broncos faced. But the biggest, and the thing that most people didn't talk about, everybody's talking about the weather Super Bowl week. The weather this, whether it's going to snow, whether they're going to play the game on Friday or Sunday, or maybe even the next Tuesday in another city. It was crazy. No one talked about the noise. And it was the noise that killed Peyton Manning and uh, his audible offense that, um, you know, some other teams may not have had the same problem with it, but it was obvious the problem uh, from the very first staff with uh, Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos. Well, 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 I mean, you mentioned about the crowd noise, and, and, and Seattle was playing on the road. So, you know, 12 men, if they playing at home, you would think that noise would be a factor. But going in, don't you think that John Fox and the coaching staff may have thought, okay, well, this might be a possibility. So how we prepare our team for the noise in case, you know, Peyton Manning needs to make, make an audible. So would you say that the, the, the coaches failed to really 
help their players in execution and with the game plan and getting them prepared for the game. Well, they dropped the ball on that one, man. And, and it's a coach's job. I know it's pretty tough, but it's a coach's job to cover all the bases. I remember when I played with the Broncos, we had a Coach Collar, Jim Collar, as a, as a, a quarterback coach for a year. And I remember uh, the receivers and the quarterbacks meeting in their room one day instead of uh, the big offensive room. And on the board, he had this big, giant whiteboard with about 100 different possibilities that could happen in the last two minutes of a football game. And they were all written out on the board. It was phenomenal. That's covering all the bases. And this is one thing, like you said, it's a, the neutral site. How can noise be a factor? Well, I remember when we played, uh, Seattle was in our conference, and we were playing Seattle up in the, in the Kingdom back in the day. We, we actually would have speakers in our bubbles to simulate the noise. But here's the thing about Super Bowl Sunday. Fans were fans. They were excited about the very first snap. Bronco fans were cheering. Seahawks fans were cheering. New York Giants and Jets. J-E-G-S, Jets, Jets, Jets fans. Yeah, they were there too. They were cheering. Everybody was making up this noise. And in Denver, State Manning was simply quiet the crowd down. Usually he's a single, hey, quiet down crowd. It would get quiet. He makes his audibles, executes the play. You saw what happened on Sunday. If you just join us, we're joint. We're joined by Mark Jackson, former Broncos wide receiver and member of the Three Amigos. And speaking of Three Amigos, I mean, you played with Ricky Mattel and Vance Johnson, and the Broncos had three wide receivers of their own coming into the game. Harris Thomas, Wes Welker, and Eric Deck. It just seemed as though those three receivers actually came to play, you know, in the game on Sunday. I mean, what did you think about their performance as a Oh, man, I'm losing you, Nick. Okay, I'm man, I, you, I can't believe you. Are you. Can you hear me? You can hear yes, me with your roll. Mark, it sounds like you're outside and it's real windy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I mean, I'm actually, uh, I'm coming up here on the Grand Canyon, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah, come oh, on, bro. Modern, modern technology. Well, I pulled over to the side. I thought I'd be good. Are we all right now? Is this better? This is better. It's better. Awesome. You know, and, then, and my question was, you know, you played with, you know, uh, Vance Johnson, Ricky Nutil, and yourself made up the Three Amigo Corps. And the Broncos had somewhat of a Three Amigo group of their own. But as a former wide receiver, when you watched them play on Sunday, did you think that they played with a sense of urgency collectively as a receiving core? No, I, I think there was two, two factors that were in place there. One was the was the weather. I think the weather did have an effect. And it's, it's only because of the mind game, not necessarily because of the temperature on the field, because the temperature was was okay. But the mind game, I think uh, the Seahawks just did an awesome job of game planning them, and it just made them so, it rendered them so ineffective. Basically what Pete Carroll said was, you guys have been winning the game with digs and dags, across some routes, we're going to shut that down and we're going to say Peyton Manning beat us over the top. How many times did he throw the ball over the top? Not, not I mean, at all. That was the answer to the game. That was the keys to the vault, basically. Line up your linebackers at five to eight yards. When a receiver comes across, smack the hell out of them. Uh, those guys weren't even making tackles. They were just laying blows. And, and it rendered them ineffective. Well, well, I'll tell you, Mark, you know, when, when you look at this Bronco team, they have a lot of uh, issues as far as free agency is concerned. 
Talk about $12.4 million in cap space. They're going to have to let a couple guys go. Champ Bailey's going to count $10 million against the cap. And when you look at the exclusive rights guys and the free agent guys, and then the fact of the 14 you know, unrestricted guys, I give you a couple of names and you tell me, who would your first priority be? You got Eric Decker, No Sean Moreno, Zane Belos, Robert Ayers, Sean Phillips, Dominic Rogers, Camardi, just to mention a few. If you were, you know, Vice President of Operations and John Elway, what would you do and who would be your first priority? My first priority would be uh, Dominic Rogers, Camardi. Had an awesome season. Uh, he is the strongest uh, defender in the secondary. When you look at a guy like Zane Beatles, you look like a guy, look at a guy like Eric Decker. Um, they're expendable. Zane Beatles, uh, like to have him around, but I don't think he will be. Uh, Eric Decker, same thing. I'm sure Peyton, with the chemistry that they've, uh, were able to, um, to, uh, to grow this, this, this past, uh, season, I'm sure he'd like to have him around, but, you know, I'm not sure how much Eric Decker's gonna be demanding, uh, on the market. And like you said, the cast space is very, very tight. Hey, Mark, I think that's a great point, man. And, you know, you look at a guy like Zane Beatles, no Sean Moreno, Eric Decker, you got to feel like their success, especially Decker and no Sean, their success was really based on how good Peyton Manning is. I mean, Decker is almost a perfect complimentary receiver, but I feel like he's kind of going to kind of be like Mike Wallace. Someone's going to overpay for him to be a number one receiver somewhere, and he's not going to have that great of a year because really by trade, he needs a Demarius Thomas on the other side, and he needs a Peyton Manning throwing him the ball. He's not, he's in not my yeah. opinion, good enough. I agree with that, 100%. agree with that. But the only thing is, you look at the wide receivers that are free agents. Jeremy Macklin, Hakeem Nix, Julian Edelman, Golden Tate, James Jones, Anquan Bolden. Household names, but really none of them are a true number one receiver. And they rank Eric Decker. Yahoo Sports ranks Eric Decker number one among free agent wide receivers. And if a team follows that, I think they're going to be very disappointed unless they have a number one receiver already in place. Well, I, I think that's amazing, and it kind of shows you what a stat league we're in right now. I totally agree with you. Uh, no slight against Eric Decker. He makes you know big plays. He's fairly consistent, but he is not a number one receiver. He's not a guy that's going to draw double coverage and still beat you. Um, but in the position that he's in, because of playing with Peyton Manning and as the incredible numbers that they threw up this year, he is the number one guy. And there isn't a lot out there in the market right now. So, you know, as far as the Denver Broncos go, you know, can Caldwell come up and take his place? I think absolutely. Uh, or someone that you pick up in the draft can actually come in and be a complimentary receiver. If you just joined us, we're joined by Mark Jackson. You can follow him at mjack80. Uh, Mark, before we let you get out of here, you know, I would be remiss if I did not ask you this question. Five minutes and 43 seconds left in the AFC Divisional game in 1986. And John Elway has to lead the team down the field. Now, the Broncos have had their issues, of course, in the Super Bowl. But, but tell me, when a team is on the ropes, I mean, what were you guys thinking about? What was the communication at that time? Meaning as though you guys need to move the ball down the field to position yourself to force overtime. Nick, let me tell you, my, my mentor, Jay Ship, told me that I am a three-time AFC champion. <laughs> <laughs> and you know something? That was my rookie year. The drive is still, I mean, in hindsight, now at the right young age of 50, 
I can look back at that game in such appreciation. At the time, it was just routine, brother. It was just go do what we do. We've been doing it all year. We had so many comeback victories that year. I remember playing Boomer Sides in that year. I think the final score was 38-35. And all the games were bomb burners. And there was no doubt in my mind that we can go down and drive uh, you know, 98 and a half yards. I think when I'm 100 and I have grandchildren, it's going to be a 100-yard drive. We might even start that drive in the end zone. I mean, it was one of those situations in history that, you know, it was, it was pretty fantastic. And I, I just didn't appreciate it at the time. Totally appreciate it now. And the mindset was simply, go do what you do. Well, Mark, Mark, I, I know you like to do a lot of things in Vegas with and helping out with the kids. Why, why don't you tell the fans where they can uh, find out more information about what you're doing? Well, I've got a few things that's going on right now. I'm launching a nutritional company. It's called Mayanasa. You can check me out at markjackson.biz, markjackson.biz, and uh, get some good nutrition in your body. I found that after the NFL, a lot of guys are aching, and uh, there's a lot of people that never even played in the NFL that are aching, so we got some incredible products that to help you to perform at your top performance level. Uh, that's the nutrition side. And then also through that company, Anasa, we've got a few different charities and nonprofits that we're, uh, that we're uh, supporting. One that I'm actually starting myself is called MyFig8. Uh, I'll have more information on that to come. But MyFig8 is going to be an incredible organization to help inner-city kids. We're looking at teaming up with uh, Up to Us out of New York and uh, doing some great things, helping the inner-city and at-risk kids to kind of break out of poverty. And before we let you go, of course, this is a big topic right now in the NFL. Uh, medicinal marijuana, are you for or are you against that? Man, I, I have to tell you, Nick, when I went to the game, the AFC Championship game, I'm signing autographs in the Xbox tent, and uh, guys were taking pictures with me. One guy slapped me a five, and he, he landed a, a, a joint in my hand, and I was, I was shocked. I was absolutely <laughs> shocked. I mean, big Bronco fan wanted to give me a gift. And he gave me a joint. And I didn't really know what to do with it. But as I'm walking through, I saw so many people that were just stoned. I, I mean, it's like Night of the Living Dead. I don't even watch those movies. But it looked like it, one of those movies in real time. The guy at the parking lot, uh, the parking lot attendant was stoned. It was, just, it was just surreal to me. You know, I've been living part-time in Vegas, part-time in Denver. So it, I guess my answer would be, I'm not sure right now. The jury's still out on the effect. I mean, whether it has medicinal benefits or not, the, the effect of how it impairs people, you know, that's going to be found over the upcoming months and, and maybe uh, this year. Um, wow, that's a tough one. I don't smoke weed. Uh, I never have used it for any medicinal purpose or otherwise. Um, that's something that I feel like people, whether it's uh, any drug, alcohol or marijuana, it's, uh, it's up to you and your choice. And usually anything that you do in moderation if God put it on the earth, it's okay. But the problem is, as human beings, we just don't understand the word moderation. <laughs> <laughs> there, there it is. Mark Jackson, one-third of the Three Amigos, breaking down his take on whether marijuana would be legal and whether uh, someone in New York just handed him a joint. Uh, Mark, I mean... <laughs> it, it all depends it's on what you did man. with it, Mark. If someone in New York handed me a joint, I'd be, I'd be scared, real scared, but... No, I was at the game, man, in Denver. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you what, Mark. I mean, love having you on the show. Maybe uh, uh, sometime soon we can get all three of you guys on the show. Just kind of uh, go back down memory lane. I know the fans and the listeners would definitely love to hear that. Uh, also, uh, you, I will put up Mark's information as far as how you can get in contact with him if you want to know anything about his 
Nutritional Company, and I'll put that up on Twitter very shortly. Mark, once again, thank you for joining us. It's great as always, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Dick. Thanks, Mario. All right, Mark. All right. So that was some that was some good stuff, uh, uh, Mario. And then after the break, we would talk a little bit about the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2014 to see what you think, Mario, in, in our Real Talk segment. Do, or do you agree with it or do you not agree with how things shaped out in the process? You listen to Voice America Sports. This is Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective. We'll be back. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you're looking for a show that takes you through the process of becoming a successful college athlete, you'll want to tune into Get It Done Sports Radio with host Karif Bird. You'll find out about the how-tos of getting to the next level and the do's and don'ts when preparing for college athletics. It's a complete inside look at what's turning out the next generation of players. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Sports. Are you a Philly sports fan? Maybe you're local to Philly, or you're a transplanted Philly fan. Either way, you want to check out Philly Sports Jabronis. It's a radio show that has nothing to do with Chicago sports. It's not about NYC, and L.A. can't even muster a football team of their own. It's all about Philly sports, and nothing but Philly sports most of the time. Join your hosts Mike Greger and Joe Dara every Friday at 7 p.m. Philly time, 4 p.m. on the West Coast for the transplants on the Voice America Sports Channel. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Well, Mario, I mean, that, that, great, that was great stuff. I mean, so far we heard from Ben Hanks, former stand-up linebacker for the University of Florida. Then Mark Jackson blessed us with uh, his uh, appearance on the show and just kind of talked about whether he thought that medicinal marijuana had a place in professional sports and also gave us a little insight on the drive itself and the mind or the mental state that a team must be in when you're – your back is against the wall, and you need a score. And, and going back to that, you know, the Broncos' backs were definitely against the wall in that Super Bowl, and it started out right away. It looked like that team was out of sync. But as always, on Thursday, this is my favorite part of the show, Real Talk with Mario and Nick in our Real Talk segment. So, Mario. Real Talk. Real Talk. Okay, Pro Football Hall of Fame 2014 class. There were certain people who got in who deserved it, and then there was others who, I don't know, you can argue that shouldn't have gotten in. I'll let you give your take, real talk, who got in and who should be in. 
Real talk, Nick. Here's the thing about the Hall of Fame. It's a popularity contest. Now, I'm not going to say that I necessarily disagree with any of the people that got in, but let's take a quick look at Andre Reid, who, let me preface this by saying, does in fact deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But you look at a Marvin Harrison. You look at a Rod Smith. Oh, that's right, Mr. Ferguson. I said Rod Smith. We're going to go back to me being a Denver Bronco, Denver Bronco homer. Here's why I say Rod Smith. He is by far, bar none, the greatest undrafted receiver of all time. Don't believe me? Look at his stats. And if we're going to compare his stats, compare it to fellow Hall of Famer Michael Irvin. That's right, Nick. That's right. Michael Irvin, Rod Smith's numbers, better than his. Only thing he's got, one more Super Bowl and a crack pipe. Why are you not putting Rod Smith in the Hall of Fame? The Broncos, they can't get any love, man. It's like the people only think that the only person that played for that team was John Elway. Open your eyes. Look at the people he was throwing to. Rod Smith needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Real talk. Wow, real talk. That was a pot shot, undercut. Boy, weather goes downtown. Real talk. The Broncos <laughs> in the Super Bowl versus the Seattle Seahawks. We haven't seen a, a lackluster performance like this from the Denver Broncos. And the last time we, we did, they were facing off against Joe Montana and San Francisco 49ers in New Orleans. Real talk, what's going on with the Denver Broncos? Real talk, Nick. Here's the thing. I talked to Brian Dawkins at the beginning of the season, and he said this team is going to set records on offense, but if they play a physical defense, they will not win because they're soft. Now I'm thinking, look, Doc, I know that you were in the NFL for all these years, but I just didn't want to believe it. Why, Nick? Because I was looking through my orange and blue colored lenses. Turned out, B-Doc was absolutely 100% correct. This offense set all kinds of records. They dominated teams. There were hardly any games that were decided by single digits. But what happened? They never played a smash-mouth football team because those football teams all exist in the NFC. The NFC West, to be more specific. So when you play the Niners next year, and the Rams, and the Cardinals, and that's right, in Seattle against the Seahawks next season, you better beef up your offense and beef up your defense. They need some nasty players. What was the bottom line for that game? Yeah, they got dominated. Yeah, they didn't score enough points. Yeah, the Seahawks scored in every single aspect of the game. Why? Because the Broncos need a nasty player who will hit you and hit you hard. The Seahawks have plenty of those. The 49ers have plenty of those. That's why the NFC Championship game was like the Super Bowl, according to Richard Sherman, for the Seahawks. They consider the Broncos to be a consolation game. Why? Because they don't have any tough, gritty, nasty players. This Broncos team needs to build simply to beat the Seahawks and the 49ers. Anything less than that is unacceptable. Real talk. Real talk. For the second year in a row, Alabama once again with the number one recruiting class, Six, that's right, six five-star recruits. Bama gearing up for another run. Real talk, new college rules this year, playoff system will Bama be right there at the end. Real talk. Real talk, Nick, does this really surprise you at all? This is what Nick Saban does. 
He needs to stay in college. You remember when he was getting offers to come back to the NFL? <laughs> yeah, good joke. <laughs> this dude belongs in college because he gets it. He understands it. And because the NFL, clearly, is too hard for Mr. Saban. So he's going to stay in college, and he's going to make a dynasty, and that's fine. But eventually, Mr. Ferguson, all dynasties will fall. Unfortunately, Alabama is so loaded that it's not going to be for another decade. It doesn't surprise me whatsoever that they continue to get the best recruits. Why? Because of their legacy recently. They continue to win bowl games. And even though Auburn didn't win it, they made it. They want to be in the SEC. And if you make it to the SEC, you might as well go to Alabama. Look at all the pro players that they've churned out as well. That's what these kids are worried about. Winning a national championship and getting drafted high. They're going to have cameras on them constantly because they go to Alabama and everybody wants to watch an Alabama game. So these kids' performances are going to get blown out of proportion because they go to Alabama and the SEC is top-heavy. They're going to get overdrafted and you're going to be disappointed with the product that you get. But I'm getting off topic. Alabama's going to be fine. And in my opinion, they were the best team in college football. Unfortunately, Nick Saban is too cocky to manage (laughs) a game the way that he should and he lost to a less talented but more hot Auburn team. Alabama's going to go back to the national championship next year and probably the year after that. But someday, Mr. Ferguson, Nick Saban is going to get his due and they're going to turn him in, expose him for the lack of coaching that he really is, and they're going to fall. Real talk. Wow. Real talk. Tell me why you're mad, son. Real, <laughs> real, real talk. Can we now safely say that uh, college athletes, after watching coaches like Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, and Coach uh, Mark Stoops get great bonuses after bowl wins. Can we now safely say that college athletes, without using the tag of, hey, listen, hey, they get a free education, hey, they get free room and board, hey, they can also get team-issued gear. Is it safe now to say that college athletes should see their fair share of the pot. Real talk. Real talk. Here's the thing with that, Nick. Is a free education great? Absolutely. I will never doo-doo on that idea because an education is the most important thing that you can do. Give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish, he can eat for a lifetime. But these players don't fish, Nick. They play football. They bring you money. How do you get the audacity to sell somebody's jersey? To sell a Johnny Manziel jersey. It's 100% of the profit. (laughs) I don't want to be this guy, but I'm going to be this guy, Nick, because clearly I'm fired up. These college football players are slaves. They are modern-day slaves. They are going out on the field of battle. They are putting their bodies at risk. There's no insurance if they get hurt. Their scholarship can be taken away. They have to adhere to certain rules that other athletes, or I'm sorry, that other students don't have to adhere to. And if you go to a bowl game and you get all this income, coaches are rolling in money. Nick Saban is sleeping on a bed of $100 bills. Why? Because he gets so much money, he doesn't know what to do with it. You really mean to tell me that it would be a bad idea for these kids to get a little bit of money? College football is their life, Nick. They go to school, then they practice. That's all they have time for. How can they pay for stuff when they don't have jobs? Football is their full-time job. They need to get paid for it. End slavery like you did hundreds of years ago. I have a dream today. Real talk. 
Real talk, more money, more money, more money. That's right, college athletes should get paid. And anyone who feels any indifferent to that, maybe you should go and ask maybe a former athlete what he thinks and what he had to go through. The fact of having to change majors because guess what? It didn't coexist. It didn't oh, flow on. well Let's with the class and the football that. schedule. Yes. Who, who, who had to change their major in order to play football, Nick? Oh, I was one of those individuals that had to change my major. Going That's to Georgia right. Tech, I, I, was, I was forced because it did not coexist with what the football program wanted to do at the time. So I had to switch. But also, here's another real talk. I have to get into this. Oh, get Georgia, it. Georgia Tech, once again, at the bottom, the bottom of college football as far as signing top recruits. No five-star, no three-star, maybe a couple of two-star athletes. But if you let some talent, they listen. Every year we compete. Every year we get six wins. That puts us in the bowl game. Hey, Georgia Tech fans, if you are comfortable with mediocrity, knowing that those guys down in, in, in Athens, those Bulldogs are going to SEC championships, they're going to better bowls, they put more players in the NFL, and then not to mention, hey, SEC Network, ESPN, there's so much money out there. But guess what? We, that's the problem. We've accepted mediocrity. We can't do this anymore. I mean, looking at the recruiting class, not taking anything away from these kids, but at the same time, do we have the top talent to compete with the Florida State, the University of Miami, the Clemsons, the Auburns, the, the, the teams out in the Pac-12? No, we do not. And just getting by is not good enough. Not for this Georgia Tech alumni. If you are willing to accept that, hey, I don't know what to say, but that's not real talk. Hey, Nick, real talk. Here's how you solve your problem. Expand your offense. Two of the top five wide receivers in the NFL right now went to Georgia Tech. What does that tell you? There's a pattern. Remember Stephen Hill? He would have been really good if he didn't go to the New York Jets, man. That would have been three excellent Georgia Tech alumnus receivers. So what do you do? Get yourself a real quarterback. Get yourself a real offensive line. Run a pro-style offense. You're in the market. People want to go to Georgia Tech. They have cool uniforms. They're the yellow jackets. If you're a wide receiver, you could just say, hey, go talk to Calvin Johnson. Hey, go talk to Demarius Thomas. Oh, and here's our quarterback who can throw overhand and a spiral. That's what y'all need to do, Nick. Real talk. Now, if we're going to talk about CU, my alma mater, my school that's suffering. Well, you know what? We're a basketball school now anyway, so I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> Well, that Real Talk segment was brought to you by Secondary Perspective. You can follow him at Mile High Mario. You can follow me at Nick Ferguson underscore 25 if you have your Real Talk moment. And this goes far beyond today. It's tomorrow and next week. Real Talk. Thank you, Voice America Sports. Now, let's jump back in this for just a second. Now, let's, let's get a little serious here. We're talking about the Denver Broncos before we close out the show here. And known as though... They only have so much room left on the cap. You have Champ Baylor, who did not play that much this, this season, and he's going to count $10 million against the cap. And we heard from Mark Jackson on who he would bring back to this team, Dominic Rogers, Camardi. But also, and you hit the nail on the head, Mario, when you talked about Eric Decker and the possibility that some team is going to jump out there and grab him and give him some kind of large payday because Peyton Manning, that's what he, that's what he does. 
he helps people become better players and earn more money. So we would have to pay close attention to this and see how this thing shakes out. But it is evident that the Broncos must become a more physical team in the secondary on both sides of the ball, offensive line and defensive line. And also, I think they should keep Sean Moreno. I think the guy did an excellent job for them. And then when he went out in the Super Bowl, it showed how important the run game is. Real quickly, Mario, give me your final comments on the Denver Broncos and the possible free agency for 2014. Nick, here's the thing, man. I, I somewhat agree with Sean Moreno. He finally turned around. He had a great year. But I feel like he's going to want too much money, and the Broncos coming up in the next two years have way too many people that they're going to need to sign. They're going to need to figure out their priorities. How do you bring back Demarius Thomas? How do you bring back Vaughn Miller? Are you going to bring back Sean Phillips? That's a name no one's really talking about. Had a Pro Bowl-type year this year. Dominic Rogers-Cromartie, I think, should be at the top of their re-sign list. But let me give you some names that I really like who are scheduled to be free agent running backs, Nick. Ben Tate. Rashad Jennings, Darren McFadden, Maurice Jones-Drew. My favorite one on that list, Maurice Jones-Drew, because he catches the ball out of the backfield and he can block. And what else do you think Peyton Manning could possibly need? This man has been drowning in Jacksonville for the past couple of years. He is desperate to get out and play for a good team. He is one of the better backs of our, I wouldn't say generation, but probably the decade, Nick. And he would be much better if he wasn't drowning in Jacksonville. Give Marie, give Maurice Jones Drew a shot, man. I feel like you can get him at a discount. And he's just as good as Noshan Moreno, if not better. So that's my number one target for free agency. That's all I got for you. Well, we'll see how it shapes down. Obviously, the ultimate decision is up to Vice President of Operations, John Elway. I'd like to thank Mark Jackson for joining the program and Ben Hanks as well. Tune in next week. We're going to have Craig Brocky, who wrote, recently wrote a book on concussions and how to overturn those concussions. So you've been listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. And don't forget, you can always catch us on Twitter at Mario and at Nick Ferguson underscore 25 if you want to continue the conversation. Have a great weekend, guys. God bless, everybody. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 